Hey guys, welcome to the Swerve Church Podcast. My name is Danny, the lead pastor. I pray that the message that you're about to hear is encouraging, uplifting, and honestly challenging as well. I want to invite you to join us in person Sundays at 11 a.m. at the Swerve Hub at 239 Stanhope Street, or catch church online at 11 a.m. on our YouTube or Facebook page. Thanks so much for tuning in, and I pray that you're blessed by today's message and that it helps draw you closer to Jesus. Today we're wrapping up our three-week series called Five Habits, Living a Life on Mission. We're trying to find practical ways to live our lives on mission in order to share the greatest news in all of human history. It's the good news of Jesus Christ, that we were dead because of our sin, but because of Jesus, we are made alive, we're forgiven, and we're adopted into the family of God. We kicked off the series with a free gift, which was an e-book, e-book by the same name, Five Habits. I hope that you've found some time to read through the book and that you've also found it helpful. It's a super practical read, very, very nuts and bolts. Uh, by the way, if it's your first time here or if you haven't downloaded the free ebook yet, you can still get it by either scanning the QR code or heading to swervechurch.com slash five habits. And I definitely encourage you to download and to read the book. The premise of the book is to share a tool with us that can essentially walk us through living a missional life so that we can show and share the gospel message. And to do this, the author, Dave Ferguson, he shares the acronym BLESS, which stands for the following. B, begin with prayer. L, listen. E, eat. S, serve. And S, story. Last week, we spoke about the first two, prayer and listening. We mentioned that prayer is not a sideline strategy, but a frontline's ministry. And you had a simple resource in your notes last week to help you begin to be intentional in praying for your neighbors by name. And we also spoke about listening. We live in a world that absolutely loves to communicate our opinions, our thoughts, and be extremely vocal about whatever pops into our minds. But with being intentional to listen uh, to our neighbors, we learn that it can help a person feel heard and known. And as a result, it leads to them feeling loved. Plus, if we're really listening... We will hear the deepest needs of the other person and hopefully be able to share how the gospel addresses their hurts. Today, we're going to wrap up this little series with the last three letters of the BLESS acronym. We're going to talk about eating, serving, and sharing our story. You might notice that the first two items in the acronym, praying and listening, are more passive. But the last three put us into action. These are things that can actually be done to initiate these gospel conversations. Allow me to say this one more time. As we go through this series and we talk about how to get the gospel to our neighbors, it's not that this is the best way or the only way, but I do believe it is a way that is very biblical and a way that can bridge gaps, which allow us to connect relationally with our neighbors and give us opportunities to share the good news. I hope that you found this series to be very helpful and very practical. And I truly hope that you've already begun to put some of these habits into practice in order to engage your neighbors, your coworkers, and your friends. So here's the final three letters of the BLESS acronym. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to do number one in your notes. Write this down. Seek opportunities to eat. There's something special about sharing a meal with someone. The people you care about the most and that you have a special relationship with are those that you share a meal with most frequently. No doubt this week, many of you celebrated Thanksgiving, and you probably sat around a table or in a living room, and you shared a delicious Thanksgiving meal. And there was probably turkey and rice, right? Pasta, potato salad, 
corn stuffing, cranberry sauce, salad, green beans, sweet potato, pumpkin pie. I mean, I can go on and on. But the people that you were with are special people in your life, people that you love and that you care about. And it's the same with birthday parties, weddings, retirements, housewarmings, baby showers, etc., right? Eating together has this way of microwaving relationships and helping it flourish like few other things can. Did you ever consider using the everyday activity of eating as an opportunity of connecting with your neighbors, as an opportunity to live on mission? Consider this. If there's 365 days in a year, and on average we eat three meals a day, that's 1,095 meals in any given year. What if we took advantage of some of those meals to live on mission, to use that meal as an opportunity to connect and build a relationship? This is what Jesus did many times throughout his ministry. A careful reading of the Gospels will show you how often Jesus' ministry would revolve around food. In fact, if you remember, in week one of the series, we mentioned the reputation of Jesus was that he was a glutton and a drunkard. Because Jesus was a friend of sinners, he was invited often to participate in parties, lunches, and dinners, so much so that he received this reputation. And one such instance uh, that, we read in, that we read in the Gospels is when Jesus called Matthew the tax collector to be one of his disciples. Now, let me give you guys some context. Okay, Tax collectors were hated by Jewish people because, first of all, they worked for the oppressive Roman government. And secondly, tax collectors would collect additional money uh, that, that on top of what was required in order to fill their own pockets. Not only were they traitors and backstabbers, but they were thieves as well. And from their own people at that. So you can imagine the gossip around Jesus calling Matthew the tax collector to follow him. But then he does something unthinkable. He goes to Matthew's house to share a meal. Look at how Matthew describes it in chapter 9, verse 9 through 13. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. And while he was reclining at the table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came to eat with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now when he heard this, he said, this is Jesus, It is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I didn't come to call the righteous, but the sinners. This is fascinating. Matthew the tax collector has a bunch of tax collecting buddies and invites them to his house to eat with Jesus. And this absolutely bugs the snot out of the religious leaders of Jesus' day. And it leads them to ask the other disciples, why does your teacher eat with sinners? Jesus' response, I didn't come for those who think they've got it figured out. I came for those who know they need help. And then Jesus kept eating his spaghetti and meatballs, right? Did you ever consider using this activity that you do every single day as an opportunity to live on mission? There's something special about sharing a meal that can help let guards down, build friendships, and lead to meaningful, potentially life-changing conversations. What would it look like for you to be intentional in how you schedule your meals in order to invite others to participate in this everyday, mundane, yet intimate and special activity? For you students that are at school, what if you utilize your lunchtime as an opportunity not to see how many straws you can stuff up your nose or how fast you can drink a carton of milk, but to build and connect to a degree that a relationship can be built and the gospel may be shared? Those of you in the marketplace and on job sites, what would it look like to share your lunch break 
with a coworker who is seeking or having difficulty with their marriage or struggling in their faith and spend time listening, praying with and for them and sharing the hope of the gospel. Do you think you could redeem that time? For all of us, we have this magical liquid that you can take advantage of. People partake and drink of this magical liquid upwards of three to five times a day. What would it look like to invite your neighbors, friends, family, people far from God to have a cup of coffee with you? Something you can make in your house for pennies on the dollar. I pray for the day when I walk around Bushwick and pop into coffee shops and I see people from our church having conversations with their neighbors. And we could just make eye contact and just know, oh, he's sharing the gospel. (laughs) She's serving her neighbor so that the life-changing, life-transforming, eternity-altering truth of Jesus can be received. We have this amazing opportunity that we can take advantage of. What are you doing to seek opportunities to eat with others? In the process of sharing meal or sharing coffee, relationships can be formed, trust can be built, the gospel can be shared, and lives can be made new. The next practice we can pursue is to this. Number two, write this down, to seek opportunities to serve. In a city like ours that is so rushed and fast-paced and stressed out, There's an opportunity we have to intentionally serve others and serve alongside of others. In a society as selfish and self-centered as the one that we live in, when you step up to serve, it doesn't tend to go unnoticed. Consider when you go on a train. It's crowded and all the seats are taken, but then someone steps onto the train with a baby in a stroller or an elderly person struggling to keep their balance or a mom with small children, but yet no one is willing to stand up and offer their seat to someone who truly needs it. No one is willing to serve, to put someone else's needs above their own. Or if you live in an apartment building, simple gestures like holding the door for the person behind you or saying good morning are more challenging for some than pulling a tooth out. But these are all opportunities to be able to serve others. And this is one of the greatest lessons that Jesus gave us. He led by example and he served others. He put others' needs before his own. His life and ministry modeled this over and over again with the climax being the laying down of his own life for the forgiveness of sin and the new life of mankind. This was the lesson Jesus tried to get through to his disciples. It was a virtue that he tried to instill into the life of those who followed him. And perhaps one of the greatest examples of this was during the last few moments before Jesus would be led to the cross. Where do we find him? In preparation for the most excruciating of executions? Well, he's eating, and he's eating with his disciples. And then in an ultimate act of humility and service, he does this in John 13. So he got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel, and tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel he tied around him. I want to remind you as you read these words that this is a culture and a time period before Jordans and Timberlands. This is a time... Uh, before well-paved roads and sidewalks. People would walk around all day in sandals in an agricultural society, meaning people had cattle, sheep, donkeys, dogs, and goats. These animals are pooping and peeing all over the place. Plus, there's dirt everywhere. You're having to walk through grass and fields alongside of mountains and desert. And so needless to say, if this is you, your feet are gross. But furthermore, it wasn't uncommon when you would visit someone's home to have your guest's feet washed upon entering. But it was the job that was left for the lowest person on the totem pole. The owner of the home would never do such a task. But what does Jesus do? 
moments before he would be led to the cross, moments before he would be betrayed by Judas and dragged away by Roman soldiers, Jesus, the Son of God, the Redeemer of mankind, the one who created the feet of the disciples, takes a towel and wraps it around his waist. He begins to seek out all the items necessary to wash the feet of his disciples. And so he fills up the basin. He walks over to the disciples and he begins to wash dirty, disgusting, crusty, muddy feet. It was the ultimate sign of humility. It was an ultimate sign of service. What Jesus was communicating with this act was this. This is what you've been called to do. You've been called to serve others. And when the rest of the world seeks to be self-served, you serve others. What an important lesson for us to grasp that as we seek out opportunities to serve others, we mimic Christ in His servant's heart and attitude. What happens when we serve is that people's hearts are open and we have an opportunity to share the hope of Jesus with them. By the way, this is why it's one of our values as a church. We will serve our community and here's why. People won't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So we show the love of God because we've been shown the love of God. We serve because Christ has so selflessly and sacrificially served us in His death, burial, and resurrection. So who can you serve? At your job, at your school, on your block? How can these acts of service lead to gospel conversation? By the way, you can also invite others to serve with you. This is another powerful tool. You can invite your friends, your family, and neighbors to come alongside you and serve together. As you're rubbing elbows in service, relationships are building, trust is increasing, and opportunities to share why you serve are presented. As a church, we're constantly creating opportunities for you to serve so that in your serving, you can connect with others. And as we connect, I believe the Holy Spirit will go forth and give us opportunities to share. And when that happens, what do we share? Here's the last point for today. Number three, seek opportunities to share your story. Here's the thing, guys. God is at work in each and every single one of you. There's something God has done and is doing in your life. God has done and is doing something amazing. And when it comes to sharing the gospel, it can begin as simply as first communicating what Christ has done in your life and how He's changed and transformed your life. One of the most powerful apologetics we have for our faith is the fact that God has absolutely changed our lives. This might be one of the greatest tools you have in your arsenal. It's, a, it's, it's hard to defend against because at the end of the day, it's what you experience in your life. If we're praying, listening, eating with, and serving alongside, then naturally the question will come up as to why you believe what you do. Naturally, the opportunity will present itself as to why you are the way you are. What is this whole Christianity thing about? Who is Jesus and why is He so important to you? And that's when you can come in with your story. Now, I love this passage in Luke chapter 8 that describes an interaction with Jesus and who the Bible calls a demoniac. Essentially, there was a, a man that was incredibly oppressed by demons. In fact, he was so oppressed that Luke describes him as being chained up and living amongst tombs. But the demons would give him supernatural strength and he'd break free of the restraints. This man was absolutely tormented by the demonic. Now, I need you to understand there's two realities. There's the earthly and physical realm. That's the realm that you, uh, that you live in and you can taste, see, and touch. But the Bible also talks about a spiritual realm. And this poor man was living absolutely oppressed by these demons. That is until the day he met Jesus. Jesus was so full of the Holy Spirit that these demons didn't stand a chance. And while no one could restrain the man, Jesus heals him with just his words. 
the man is instantly set free and in his right mind. Naturally, he's so grateful and wants to follow Jesus around. After all, Jesus was the only one who could save him. Jesus set him free, and now he's willing to go wherever Jesus goes. But what's interesting is that Jesus tells what, what Jesus tells him in his response. Let's read Luke 8. The man from whom the demons had departed begged him earnestly to be with him. But he sent them away and said, Go back to your home and tell all that God has done for you. And off he went, proclaiming throughout the town how much Jesus had done for him. Jesus tells the formerly oppressed man to go back to his hometown and proclaim the story of what God did for him. Why? Because the greatest apologetic for the reality of Christ is a changed life. Imagine people in his hometown who knew him as the crazy man who lived in the graveyard, who would rip restraints like he was made out of licorice, who would cut himself with rocks. But now they see him in his right mind, able to function in society, able to form cohesive thoughts. Why the change? What brought about the difference? And the man in turn could say, let me tell you about what Jesus did for me, what no other person could do. This is the story each and every single one of you could share. Whether you were brought up in church or if you lived as a hooligan, you have a story. Your story of how you encountered Christ and how he flipped your world upside down. I love what Dave Ferguson says about this in his book. He writes the following. Friend, what you say, yes, your words, can help point people desperate for food to life-saving bread. Your story is compelling, not imposing, because it's your story of how you found the love of God in Jesus. Did you ever consider how your life can be an amazing apologetic for the reality of God and the goodness of Christ? How you were spiritually blind but now could see. And let me tell you guys, there is a world of people who are also spiritually blind and in need to hear about the goodness of God in your life. And when you've gained the confidence of another person to the degree where you can share your story, make sure you don't turn it into how amazing you are, rather how amazing God is. And then enter the gospel. What is the gospel? That while we were dead in our trespasses and sin, Christ died for unlikely sinners. He absorbed the wrath of God in our place. God justly dealt with our sin through Christ so that we can be forgiven. He did so through Christ's innocent death on the cross as the perfect sinless Lamb of God. By His stripes, we were healed. Our spiritual ailment was cured by Christ's punishment on the cross. His lifeless body was placed in a tomb where He remained until the third day. But on the third day, the stone was rolled away. Jesus stepped out of the tomb victorious over Satan's sin and death. His victory over the grave is our victory over our sin. And because He's alive, we are made alive and welcomed into the family of God. And this gospel, this good news, is a free gift of God's grace. There's nothing we can do to earn it, and it is readily available to everyone and anyone who's willing to receive it. If you're here today and you haven't accepted this free gift, it's available for you. For the rest of us, let's bless our neighbors. Let's be the light of the world, the city on a hill. Let's allow the light of Christ to shine bright. Let's share the hope we have in Jesus. God, I pray you would help us to seek opportunities to eat with others, to see the gift of eating as opportunities, gospel opportunities to do life with others, to build and to connect relationally with our neighbors. Help us seek opportunities to serve. As we've been served by Christ, allow us in humility to serve others. Help us to invite others to serve alongside us so that in the process we may declare the goodness of God. When the opportunity to share the story is given, empower us to do so boldly, to proclaim the goodness of God and give you all the glory. 
Give us courage to share the gospel with our friends, neighbors, family, and coworkers. Holy Spirit, prepare hearts to receive that good news that we may see many put their faith in Christ through our witness. And God, I just pray you help us, Lord, to live this out to, to the best of our ability, to your glory and honor, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And God, for those that are hearing the gospel message, perhaps understanding it today for the first time, I pray, Holy Spirit, you would bring them home. Allow them to put the confidence in their faith in the finished work of Jesus. We pray this in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Guys, I truly pray and hope that you were challenged and encouraged by today's message. I want to take a second to invite you to join us in person. We're gathering this Sunday at 11 a.m. at the Swerve Hub, 239 Stanhope Street, right here in Bushwick, Brooklyn. And come on over, join us, come to the Swerve Hub. Let's worship together. Let's get together. Let's worship God together. Let's learn and grow together. Let's fellowship together. Why don't you come on out and join us in person this Sunday?